from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, Kevin. This is Gabrielle Kelly at The Washington Post. How are you? Hey there. It's Simon from The Post. Hey, it's Dave Farron from The Post. Have you got a second talk? This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, March 7th. Today, revisiting Joe Biden's views on race, exploring Facebook's new promises on privacy, and a rebrand for veganism. So here's what he had to say about busing. This is the real problem with busing. You take people who aren't racist, people who are good citizens, who believe in equal education and opportunity, and you stunt their children's intellectual growth by busing them to an inferior school, and you're going to fill them with hatred. Matt Visor covers politics for The Post. And while he was doing some research on the presidential candidates and the potential presidential candidates, he got a tip from a Democratic source. It was a tip about an interview that then-Senator Joe Biden had done years ago. And this Democratic source said that they were concerned that Biden's positions were problematic. So at the time, he was kind of talking about the government should not have a large role in integrating schools. This interview with Biden took place back in 1975, three years after he was elected to the U.S. Senate at age 29 to represent his home state of Delaware. Matt spoke with my colleague, Kimbrielle Kelly, about Biden's interview. How did you come across this Biden story? So this interview was inserted into the congressional record at the time by a colleague of Joe Biden's, Frank Church, who was a fellow Democrat, who inserted this two-part interview that Biden did with a local weekly newspaper in Newark, Delaware. And it's a two-part interview. And most of it is an update on sort of what he's thinking. He's two years into office. He's a new senator. He's the youngest senator in the United States Senate. And the last portion of the interview was the part that jumped out to me, where he's talking a lot about racial issues at the time that were hot button then. And the language that he uses is quite striking for where we are now. So what did he say in it? Part of this is him defending or speaking out against a busing, which at this time, the country was dealing with segregation, how to desegregate schools. And so a busing was a major issue, particularly in cities. In this interview, Biden also argues that the government and society and the courts had gone too far since Brown versus Board of Education, which, you know, this is 1975, just years really after the Civil Rights Act. So he's suggesting that society is doing too much to try to integrate schools. And here's one of the things that he said. We've lost our bearings since the 1954 Brown versus School Board desegregation case. To desegregate is different than to integrate. I got into trouble with Democratic liberals in 1972 when I refused to support a quota system for the Democratic National Convention. I am philosophically opposed to quota systems. They ensure mediocrity. The new integration plans being offered are really just quota systems to assure a certain number of blacks, Chicanos, or whatever in each school. That, to me, is the most racist concept you can come up with. What it says is, in order for your child with curly black hair, brown eyes, and dark skin to be able to learn anything, he needs to sit next to my blonde-haired, blue-eyed son. That's racist. Who the hell do we think we are that the only way a black man or woman can learn is if they rub shoulders with my white child? The topic of reparations has come up recently and is certainly going to be an issue in this current election cycle. Joe Biden has talked about this in the past. 
What did he say about that and how is that going to be reconciled with the current election? It is dramatic. Kamala Harris has spoken out on this, Elizabeth Warren. The party is openly having a discussion over reparations. Joe Biden has said something about this back in 1975, and let me, let me just read you what he said. I do not buy the concept popular in the 60s, which said, we have suppressed the black man for 300 years, and the white man is now far ahead in the race for everything our society offers. In order to even the score, we must now give the black man a head start or even hold the white man back to even the race. I don't buy that. I don't feel responsible for the sins of my father and grandfather. I feel responsible for what the situation is today, for the sins of my own generation. And I'll be damned if I feel responsible to pay for what happened 300 years ago. Needless to say, this isn't a good look for Democrats, particularly for Biden, as he thinks about you know, announcing a potential candidacy for 2020. What does this mean for him? He is entering a presidential campaign that is the most diverse field in history. You have two prominent black senators who are running and are very strong candidates. You have a party that is energized in part in opposition to rhetoric that President Trump often says. And so I think Joe Biden will have to respond to some of that and to account for how his views have potentially shifted, how he may have shifted with the time. But I think that's also a challenge because it's a reminder, I think, here where you're hearing a candidate from 44 years ago. And no other candidate in the field has that issue. Joe Biden was articulating something that not as controversial at the time as it is now. And his views may have shifted as the party's views have shifted on things. But he's emblematic of having to answer for, you know, to use his phrase, the sins of, uh, you know, the past. Some people may say that this happened such a long time ago. He's changed his views on things. But there have been some incidents recently where some might have said that He said things that have a racist framing, you know, as recently as the 2008 election cycle. Yeah. I mean, and I think charitably, Biden's supporters may say that these are just gaffes. You know, it illustrates his plain spokenness. But I think critics would point that, that a lot of his statements have, at least at that time, were playing into racial stereotypes. In 2007, he called Barack Obama. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and and, and clean and nice-looking guy. I mean, that's a storybook, man. And in 2006, the year before, he talked about... In Delaware, the largest growth in population is Indian Americans moving from India. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. So again, I think Biden, he has had this propensity to play into some of those racial stereotypes. Even if his record, I think, you know, in talking to black supporters and the NAACP, you know, he, he does have a record that I think some like, you know, and that they feel like he's, he's been on their side. But his rhetoric oftentimes has tripped him up in playing into some of those racial stereotypes. What has the Biden camp said about all this? So Joe Biden declined a request for an interview about this, but the spokesman, Bill Russo, released quite a lengthy statement defending Biden to a large degree and his record on matters of race. They point out that he fought to desegregate a a movie theater in Delaware and throughout his life has pushed policies aimed at rooting out racism. 
What was interesting is that he's not backing down. They're not disputing any portions from this interview. They're saying that they needed to be taken in the full context in which they were said. But he still defends his positions that he he had in the interview largely. And in fact, still says that Biden believes he was right to oppose busing during that time period. They also released a statement from Ralph Nees, the former executive director of the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, defending Biden largely as a leader in the field of civil rights. We should say that there's been a lot of discussion and debate around busing and whether it was the right decision or not. You know, there's not unanimity on this. Civil rights leaders sort of still point out that it was a necessary goal to try to further integrate the schools, and busing was something worth trying. Whether it achieved its ultimate aims is a matter of debate. There were a lot of things in that interview that many people might perceive as being racist or racially insensitive. You know, did his people apologize? No. In fact, quite the opposite. I mean, they sort of defend some of the things that he said and encouraged us to print the interview in full. It's interesting his approach on this versus other issues. He has apologized and kind of walked back some of his feelings about the Anita Hill hearings, the criminal justice legislation in the 90s. So he has kind of changed and said that he's evolved on certain issues that are important to black voters this does not seem to be one of those where, at least so far, he's not doing a lot to walk back these comments. They're explaining them further, but they're not apologizing or saying that he has changed over the intervening four decades. This seems like it might be a little unusual that Biden is not commenting on this. Is this unusual to you? Given that he has kind of spoken extensively on some of the other issues that could potentially cause him problems as he considers another presidential run. He's spoken extensively about those things. On this, you know, he sort of still firmly believes what he believed in 1975. He had these strong opinions and doesn't appear to have shifted away from those, which, you know, will be interesting to see how he handles if he runs a presidential campaign at a time when other Democrats are talking about reparations and, you know, some other sort of key issues that Biden, you know, hasn't necessarily shifted on. Obviously, Joe Biden has not announced his candidacy for president. This is a wide open field, several diverse candidates. You know, how could these statements impact his potential candidacy for president? One of his assets is that he's been around for a long time. But I think this also illustrates the downside of that, where he has been in public life for decades and has to respond to comments that he made decades ago when they were more in the mainstream, but certainly are not any longer. I think you have a new energized and younger electorate at this time. Joe Biden himself has been trying to figure out the social media lately and figuring out how to tap into social media and sort of the younger energy that exists in the Democratic Party right now. And I think many people are not familiar with busing and with the history of busing in this country and with Joe Biden's role and views on busing. So I think that those could have a hindrance uh, on at least in him appealing to this current Democratic electorate. Matt Viser is a politics reporter for The Post. You can read a transcript of Biden's comments on race from that 1975 interview at postreports.com. This week, Facebook's CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced that the company will move to focus more on privacy. 
it's a move from what Facebook has done with its social network to a model that we see with WhatsApp, the messaging app that it owns. Hi, I'm Kat Sakreski, and I write the Technology 202 newsletter here at The Post. Kat has been reporting on how Facebook's app will use encryption to hide how users are communicating. Even Facebook itself won't be able to see the content of people's private messages. In addition, they're trying to steer people toward using the platform differently. Rather than treating it like a totally open forum, like a town hall, instead using it more as an intimate space to chat with your closest friends. Services like WhatsApp and Snapchat have shown that, especially among young users, it's very popular to message directly with people rather than broadcasting your life to a big group of people online. Zuckerberg's announcement comes at a time when the company is facing fines from the Federal Trade Commission and also dealing with the fallout from the Cambridge Analytica scandal. I think there's a lot of reasons that Facebook is making this announcement. I mean, the company has been under massive political pressure in the last few years since the 2016 election and the fallout around disinformation that we saw with that. And there have been repeated privacy scandals that are really making consumers lose trust in the platform. So for a regular Facebook user, what will this change actually look like? Instead of sharing information or a photo with a wide group of people, you'd be sending it to one friend or maybe a few. And the other difference is, like right now, WhatsApp is encrypted. So when you send messages on WhatsApp, Facebook can't read that. And now we're going to see a bigger shift where if you're sending messages on Facebook Messenger or other platforms like Instagram, those will also be encrypted as well. And the other big change will be right now on Facebook Messenger, you can only message other people on that service. And Facebook's going to be combining these services. So if I'm logged on to WhatsApp, I can send a message to a friend on Facebook Messenger. So are we looking at a world in which like Facebook as we know it in terms of broadcasting, as you said, broadcasting your whole life out to everyone you know, that that would cease to exist and it would just be one-to-one messaging or messaging within groups? So Zuckerberg was pretty clear in his post that it wouldn't ever fully cease to exist, this idea of the public square. I mean, I think there will always be room for that. If you think about media companies like us here at The Washington Post, there's always going to be a demand for that type of wide broadcasting online, too. But I think for most everyday users, people are thinking a little bit more after all these scandals. Do I really want to be sharing these intimate details about my life with a wider group? Do I need to share that photo from vacation with all 2,000 people? I'm friends with on Facebook. And you see the company kind of thinking about that shift. And, and it'll obviously be a big shift in how Facebook makes money, too. So they're trying to stay ahead of that. Well, that's one thing that makes me feel kind of skeptical about the extent to which this is a real change that's going to happen, because Facebook has made a lot of money on selling users' data and collecting immense amounts of data. And How are they going to continue to make money if that's no longer their business model? So I think that's one of the the big questions that we really haven't gotten a clear answer yet from on Facebook with this announcement. One thing that a lot of experts who are watching this are suggesting is that they could go to a model more like WeChat in China. So in China, WeChat is this dominant messaging app, and people do a lot of their shopping through the app. They order food through the app. They pay people through the app. So you could see a world where... 
maybe Facebook isn't making money by doing targeted advertising in your newsfeed, and instead they're shifting to a model more like WeChat where you're having private conversations with your friends, but they also have partnerships with businesses and other types of advertisers in order to sell you things through chat. To what extent do you think that this is in response to those concerns from politicians or from regulatory agencies, or if it's a response to just the fact that Facebook is getting less popular and people don't want to use it anymore? I think it's really both, right? Because there are some big benefits that Facebook gets from making a move like this at a time where it's under this intense political pressure. One of the things that I wrote about today is if Facebook can't see your messages, then they're under less pressure to police them, right? So in that way, there's there's some big political gains. Um, it shows that the company is hearing the complaints about privacy and taking them seriously. But yeah, at the same time, this is a good business move for the company to think about its younger users. One of the things that Facebook announced with this move yesterday is that it's going to be combining the various messaging apps. And that's a great way to expand the whole value of the network. If you have teens that are on a service like Instagram and WhatsApp, but aren't on Facebook now, you know, you'll have other people who are on Facebook who can message them. That's a big gain in value for the company. So one of the potential drawbacks of this, or some people would say is a drawback, is the fact that now Facebook won't be in a position to police messages. What are people fearing could happen if encryption becomes a bigger thing in how Facebook does business? There are some real threats and and really evil and harmful ways that people use these platforms. And so I think there's a lot of valid concern right now about what this means for, you know, messages or images exploiting children or terrorism content. If Facebook can't see that, if law enforcement can't get a hold of that, how does that spread moving forward? And, um, you know, as Mark Zuckerberg's been doing interviews about this change, he's pointed out that this is his biggest worry as the platform makes these changes is how is the company going to deal with the safety issues that arise from this change? And what is their plan for that? Do they still see themselves as playing a role in preventing the spread of misinformation and, and, and harmful messages? So the company says that they do still see a role in preventing that spread. I mean, it's it's been a major focus for the company for several years now. And one thing Mark Zuckerberg said is that they're investing in new ways that they could maybe crack down on the spread of harmful content without seeing the messages. So things that they could look for patterns of activity was one thing he, he suggested as— what, what, what does that mean? He didn't explain it very clearly, and so that's one of the issues right now is, is how vague this blog post is about this. But it could look like, you know, right now Facebook is able to look at, okay, there's a bunch of accounts acting in a certain way that we're concerned about, and they're able to take several accounts out looking at patterns of how bots are spreading information or, or things like that. And so they could potentially try to use some of those same techniques as they look at messaging. How soon can we expect to see these changes put in place? So that's the other question is that Facebook wasn't very clear on the exact timeline. Um, Mark Zuckerberg made it clear that 2019 would be a year that they're really thinking about these changes and the issues that might arise, getting input from lawmakers, from other stakeholders, from customers. So this is really going to be a transition that we see over several years. It's not like tomorrow you're going to log in to Facebook and immediately your messages will be encrypted and you'll be able to send a note to someone on WhatsApp. It's it's going to be a long rollout. Thank you so much, Kat. Thanks so much, Martine. Kat Sokreski is a tech reporter for The Post. And now, one more thing. Plant-based foods. 
There's something about the term plant-based. It appeals to people. It's the opposite of telling people what you can't have and rather kind of rewarding them for what they are doing. The number of new products that have the term plant-based on the packaging has gone up 268% in just a couple of years, which is pretty wild. Features writer Lavanya Ramanathan has been looking at this effort at rebranding vegan. So if 2019 is anything, it is the year of the plant-based food. I'll take you to the vegan area. We're, well, well, it's vegan, but it's also everything will be marked plant-based, and I can talk about that. We're standing here in what would have been the vegan aisle, and I have a lot of products in front of me that are all entirely vegan, and a lot of them have changed their packaging. And a great one to know is Miyoko's. This says it's a cheese wheel made from plants. This one's made with cashew cream fermented with live cultures, and it's a sun-dried tomato garlic cheese made from plants. Nationally, the percentage of folks who say that they are vegan or vegetarian is pretty low and it has not changed much in the past 30 years. I think it's about um, 6% of people claim that they're vegetarian and about 2% claim that they're vegan. And for folks who want us to adopt kind of healthier lifestyles, more environmentally friendly diets, that just really wasn't cutting it. And what they realized through a lot of marketing is that plant-based is a term that appeals because it doesn't exclude anyone. I had someone say that vegan is an exclusive club. And you say, I'm a vegan, and people kind of roll their eyes. You know, if you say, like, I try to eat a plant-based diet a few times a week, it's just a little more appealing, I think, for the mainstream. And that's really what plant-based is doing. I'm holding right now one of the really well-known ones that has, like, great, great PR. It's called Beyond Meat. And what we're holding is the Beyond Burger. And it says very clearly it's a plant-based burger patty. We've got the organic lentil penne loaded with plant-based protein from Explore Cuisine. And here in the smoothie aisle, almost every one of these products says plant-based. We've got the Vega protein shake. This is a plant-based shake. We've got this company called Own, 20 grams of protein plant-based drink. All trend forecasters seem to think that plant-based foods are here to stay, that more and more people are going to choose these sorts of diets. But as with any food trend, we tend to flip-flop. We limit ourselves for a long time, and then we go right back to bacon. And I've seen this many times over. I think it was just about 10 years ago where every single thing at the restaurant that you went to had bacon in it. And now you can go to almost any restaurant in town and ask for something that's vegan. Lavanya Ramanathan is a features reporter for The Post. That's it for today's show. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. 